0: Welcome, everyone, to the very first episode of season two of A Leap in the Dark with John De La Cruz. Now, this season, we're going to be talking about generative AI and how we're using this tool in the classroom in the creative disciplines. My very first guest for this season is Dan Ligon, who's from Boulder, Colorado. He's um, a former ad guy, he teaches advertising creative. Um, he's an erstwhile filmmaker and uh, an experimenter of um, Of different visual tools. Um, Somebody does like to take a leap in the dark with new technologies and with new ways of working, new ways of visualizing, and new ways of coming up with ideas. So there couldn't have been a better guest, really, to start this new season off. Well, thank you very much. I'm hoping to flatter your ego a little bit there, Dan. I hope I've managed to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, for sure. I love that intro. Without any further ado, let's just dive straight into this. I mean, The conversation around generative AI really gathered pace, I think, at the beginning of this year. We knew it was going on, it was happening, but I think it was kind of bubbling away in the background, and all of a sudden, we're all talking about this, right? And uh, I think really the big impact has been in the fall semester this year. I think that's where I can honestly say that talking to other colleagues, other creative educators that we've been... Starting to use generative AI tools in our classrooms, uh, like Big Bang, proper Big Bang. You know, as soon as August came around. So, I mean, what are your views, Dan, on on the impact that's it been having on the work that we do?
1: I, I totally agree. Right? Uh, you know, it was AI was sort of always bubbling in the background, and then, and then all of a sudden it was like here. Uh, I remember just being here in February and I it was uh, that was the aha moment I had. What I've noticed is that it actually solves sort of very acute problems. and uh, to your point, it's already incorporated into my fall syllabus. We didn't have it anything in the springtime. you know we might have talked about it, but we didn't actually implement it. And now this fall it, it, it's written into the syllabus and it's really written into every assignment. Uh, AI is part of, it's now just part of the generative process, uh, which you're right, you know, it was like a tidal wave, a sea change. Uh, You know, we went from nothing to 100%. It wasn't even a dabble. It was just like, this is part of the process. And I'm with you in a sense that, you know, I've been involved with both technology and teaching technology, you know, since the earliest days of the dot com. And I can't point to anything that has arrived so quickly and been adopted so quickly and is so transformational. It's it's almost frightening when you think about it, but it just feels like, you know, it's like a wave coming in, start paddling and get on it and let's see where it takes us.
0: That's a great analogy. And um, I totally agree with you. It's one of those moments in which we felt that we've either had to jump right in or be left behind and right what exactly is it you know um and sure I think at this point in the conversation before we dig down any further it's good to kind of, sort of sow the seed a little bit or lay the scene I guess for um for what we're talking about here now with generative AI there's a number of ways in which we uh a number of tools up that, that we can use essentially the one I'm primarily dealing with is Text to image. So from writing phrases that may be evocative, that act as prompts, um, the machine draws from its vast reservoirs and comes up with what it thinks is relevant imagery, mm-hmm. right? And then, of course, there's ChatGPT, which is essentially text-based, where through the prompt, we end up with text that may or may not have had a life outside of that specific um, generative moment, but has certainly been pulled from a vast reservoir of resources. And essentially, this is what we're talking about here, aren't we? We're talking about a pool of resources where the machine is kind of curating, picking through, and trying to come up with the best solution it can find for what it believes we're asking it to do.
1: It's, It's really fascinating in terms of, you know, don't have a line of sight yet into how it's scrubbing or how it's finding, or what it's scraping. I went from dabbling, you know, an experiment. Every time a new technology comes along, we're sort of obliged to, oh, you know, yick yack. Let's see what this social, you know, and it comes and it goes away. Uh, and we, okay, Instagram, we can post here. But this one was a zero to sixty. This was dabble, dabble, and then all of a sudden I was in it, uh, and now I use it almost daily and. Not knowing where it comes from, right? There's sort of those ethical questions. It's like, well, where is this coming from? But the ability to just take some simple text prompts and transform it into, yeah, you know, it never, it never gives me the image I have in mind. Uh, I've yet to actually translate the imagination uh, to the finished project, but it gives you sort of this approximation. Uh, and this surprise that you didn't expect, and the only way I can describe it, there's a UX term you might have come across it years ago. You know, there's sort of the two philosophies of user experience design are: don't make me think, right? Put everything on the page. I don't want to think about anything. And this other one that a PhD told me about, I thought was great, was what's called a uh, satisfying, which is emerging of satisfy and sacrifice. And probably Snapchat interface is one of the best examples. You open up that interface, you have no idea what to do. There's just buttons. Well, well, you start pressing buttons until something happens that you're satisfied satisfied with. And that's sort of this, all right, you'll sacrifice the initial experience to be satisfied. And satisfying is the only way I can describe UI right now in that it never gives me what I want, but it gives me something cool enough that I can use. And I think for me, the adoption became just uh, the speed of being able to generate usable images was what sold it for me we put together presentations all the time we put together mock advertisements we put together powerpoints and you start to do this all right well i've got an hour here if i use an hour i can probably generate i can make a mock-up in photoshop that'll take me about 30 minutes if i cut out this guy and pull in that product shot and move that car over all the stuff we've been done for years in photoshop well you put in a text prompt and what would have taken 20 minutes, 30 minutes, now you can see a result in, you know, 60 seconds or less. It was just mind-blowing. I'm like, all right, that's not what I had in mind, but that will work and it looks better than, you know, the you know, Photoshop was amazing when it first came out. Wow, look at that. I could make it look like the guy has a soda pop in his hand. And now, you know, that almost looks primitive compared to AI. It's it's just amazing.
0: And so, yeah, I mean, that whole idea of you know, so the, being able to come up with an image very quickly also leads me to ask so that question of, you know, why would we use this? You know, would we use it to uh, to complete a project or would we use it at the very beginning? I mean, personally, I'm of the school of thought that believes that, you know, ideation is helped along by generative AI, mm-hmm. final production. I'm not 100 percent convinced just yet. I mean, what are your thoughts, Dan?
1: Well, it's interesting. In the classroom, you know, we just got through a midterm and we ran into this. And what we were trying to do was to come up with uh, visual concepts for print advertising, you know, sort of one of the bread and butter assignments. Can you get a benefit in there? Can you show it? And I heard myself saying something I've never said to students before because AI wasn't there, but they're actually trying to get AI to generate an answer. And I said, You can't sort of put in prompts and have it come up with an answer for what you're trying to do. All you can do is sort of almost come up with the idea first, that big idea, and then start to generate the images that will come up with it. So you know, to your question, I see it as a midpoint. I have yet to see it get to a complete finish. But between sort of the sketching on the paper for the idea that you want to have out, that concept that you're going to come up with you know and you probably remember this even before google and searching the internet became pervasive we would flip through reference books all right i need a guy holding something and so that that referential search is going away and now instead of the idea of what we're looking for that always exists in our head but rather than trying to flip through reference to find it we put in a prompt and it's like all right maybe maybe not I use MidJourney. I started with Dali from OpenAI. What MidJourney does is it actually it sends you back four samples, and then each of those samples you can generate variations, and they're now starting to stack the variations to strong, medium, and large. Uh, and I was just diagramming at my class this morning where AI fit in. Right now, the best way I can the best way I could explain it to them was uh, it's the meat and cheese of the sandwich. First, you sort of have to get your background you know, your template or canvas, what you're going to build on. And then you sort of generate with AI your approximation, the visual you have in mind. And then almost always you have to take that now into Photoshop and say, okay, I actually need someone who looks like this. I need this actual product. So in the process, it's just sort of on on our end, where I'm seeing it in the classroom, it's the middle layer of the, copying the design process you know it's not the idea but it's not the finish but it's how you sort of uh, build the middle part <laughs> i think we'd have a more sophisticated name than the middle part but uh <laughs> that's sort of what it...
0: well the meat and cheese works for me i mean I, yeah i totally get that um and it's interesting that you point out you know dali and um and mid journey as the the tools of choice you know, that you're using right now. I've been using Firefly since it was in beta, which is, of course, Adobe's um, product. And I've been getting some interesting results. Again, not not finalized images, but certainly lots of um, idea prompts almost. And I I like what you said before about the reference. Yeah, sure. You know, that reference when when we did flip through photography books or um, existing work that was out there or even, you know, paintings in a gallery. In order to get that, that reference, right? That was then replicated, and once you saw the ad, if you got it, you were in the know. You know, that's um, it. Always reminds me of the old, um, the Hamlet cigar commercials. I don't know whether you ever came. So, yeah, they were in um, obviously for a very, very bad product, but you know, it was just the fact that like the the reference points were always you either got or you didn't. If you did, you were in on the joke, and then it always ended up with the um, with the jingle and the uh, you know the the call to action that was always always the same. So those kind of references are are really like the bread and butter, really, what we do in our field of communication design. You know, I mean, advertising is communication design um, or an aspect of it. So I've really been enjoying Firefly and where it's really coming into its own. Within the classroom, for me, is in one of the one other spaces. Any anyway, I'm using it in is in my design fundamentals course, which is is where uh, students at junior level on the creative track get to get to play with the different applications that help them to refine their craft. So I've been going big bang with um, generative AI uh, this semester, replacing even some of my ideation exercises and bringing generative AI into it so for instance I've um I've had like a, a long-running exercise in uh, where students have to ideate around eggs right so the prompt is just simply eggs we all have one of those and the idea is to generate a hundred thumbnails based around the idea of eggs right so this has always taken place That's a pen and paper and um forcing students inutil utilize to to engage engage with the drawing process as well, before then curating and selecting what's best. Obviously, once they get to like beyond five, they start to really have to to dig deep and come up with pop culture references and what have you. So this semester, what I've done is I've switched that around and the creativity or the creative ideation is coming into the text prompt. So they still have eggs as a starting point, but what they've had to do, and they're using Adobe Express for mm-hmm. this, which of course is, a, is an introductory tool but they've got like a really cool sort of um, text to AI feature that's great for ideation. It's web based and um, and it's using Firefly as the engine. So you can go to Firefly or you can go to Express. I've been using Express with it just because it can add text as well and it's kind of um, they can turn their final ideas into an approximation of a print ad. So on this occasion, what they had to do was have ten prompts and then they had to curate the five best solutions for each of those um prompts right whatever those visuals were and then select the final one from each one of those prompts that they would then turn into a print ad or a poster or something you know that where where text and images combined so the the ideation process is going through a number of different stages and um the first one is the text right so what are they going to write in here in order to generate some cool ideas. And so what I encouraged them to do was, don't just be satisfied with the first text prompt you put in, look at the results, right, and then go back and edit that. So there are different layers of ideation going on there, which I found was really super interesting.
1: Well, and I think uh, I've experienced the exact same thing. That it's one of the most iterative processes I've ever been involved with because you never get. I mean, you're in. You're 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 putting these prompts in. You're tweaking. You're switching them. You're trying different things. And you know, I, I think there there was a Latin American writer. His name's escaping me now, but one of his short stories was about a library of everything, and everyone's going through the library trying to find the catalog. Of all the books in the library because they knew that book had to exist and that's what this feels like it, it feels like the next thing that's going to come out with ai is almost a book of best practices prompts that we can go on because we're sort of iterating all these things and uh, in my personal experience is yeah it handles natural language that's the goal ai it's like we talk to it naturally and it's supposed to come in but my experience is that there are very sort of computer restrictive things, especially like in the Booleans, like and and or don't result in how we use them like when I'm talking to you right now. But they become in those very specific coding terms, like an or in computer code has a very specific meaning, just as and, you know, there's that old joke, uh, if you go to the store, Buy some eggs, and if they have milk, buy six. Right, and the guy comes home with like six jugs of milk because of the condition of the first. It's and, and trying to navigate around those very sort of computer delineated language in this sort of natural language goes back and forth. But the iteration, you know, in fact, in some of my students, I've had to warn them that it's becoming the new time suck. It's becoming the new busy work rather than the productive work because they're just sort of iterating trying to get different things and it's like you're chasing sort of perfection in an output from this machine and at some point you have to say no this is where we stop and we have to actually start building what we imagine in our head ourselves yeah it's really it's really i've never been in this situation so we're sort of learning as we go it's it's, it's, it's kind of wild
0: it totally is and um and I guess it's curation that's going on mm-hmm. in order to be able to, to decide on, on where it is that you you want to take this initial prompt, right? So, what I found interesting with that particular project was actually comparing their thumbnailing right. to their text prompt generation. And interesting. it was pulls apart. I mean, when they're thumbnailing, sure, they're going off uh, on lateral tangents, um, but it's kind of expected, right? right. With the generative prompting, it's going into totally like sort of uncharted territory. You know, it's um and you get and you do begin to get a lot of repetition. Now that may be because uh Firefly is only fishing in a little pond, whereas think about Mid Journey, it's got the entire uh, world of resources in front of it. But then that does raise that ethical question, you know, is um, well, everything that is being created through these prompts has in a way been created before exactly right there's no novelty
1: there's nothing new no and it is something you wrestle with right you know if i give you my rationale my rationale is that well we're in an academic environment so fair use is fair game and we could do that but i do get a twinge of guilt when i see how great the results are like i needed an image and i said i want a uh a futuristic cafe and bar in the style of Blade Runner and Sid Mead, you know, Sid Mead from the sixties who would do all the amazing corporate art. And you got this back and it's like, all right, this could be a Sid Mead original artwork. And I'm like, wow, (laughs) this is great. And on one hand I was delighted because my prompt generated something that was royalty free, technically that had no copyright, but then It kind of did because it recognized Sid Mead. And I don't know how all of us sort of who came up in Silicon Valley, we sort of made it an artwork to try to, can we rip a DVD, right? Can we get around copy protection? There's content we want to use in our creative process. And, you know, the, the rebels in us are always like, hey, you know, content is king. We need to be able to creatively create the images. So if we want, you know, a clip from... That movie, we're going to get it because we need to use it. However, this is something totally new. And I, I heard someone in the from Omnicom, I was talking to someone from Omnicom, signatory agencies like that are in a real dilemma. Well, on one hand, everyone agrees for like building presentations, for building comps, for building representatives of what you want a final ad to look like. They absolutely love it. Because it's power, all the things we've talked about, but where someone like an Omnicom, a signatory, runs into problem is that it can't leave the front door because they can't verify the chain of custody for the copyright that they have the absolute usage right to use this. So they're sort of stuck. And I think that's what Adobe's trying to solve. You talked about the small fishing pond. They have their stock photo library. And that's what they're going to generate the new content off of and the new content that generates adds back to the library. But it's still just not the breath uh, that's out there. And my favorite term, uh, Omnicom said, he says, Well, we've just decided that we can't publish synthetic content. And I was like, I love that word synthetic, because I think that's the great way to think about this stuff. The organic is what comes out of us. But this stuff is really synthetic. And I think my armchair postulating is is that as fast as it came on the scene, it's also going to be recognized as quickly. We're so as fast as it has arrived, we're almost that quickly getting ready to see it. And so on Instagram, we hardly see any uh, synthetic post. You know, people will do it and they might post for a week, but then already people are starting to see, oh, this is just AI generated. And so the novelty and the magic and the awareness that arrives so quickly almost evaporates as quickly uh, because people are getting recognized to it. So, yeah, there is that tinge of guilt. I have no clue how that's going to impact it where, you know, this happens all the time with technological innovations, the... Uh, The tech is way ahead of the culture and the laws and the usage. And, you know, all right, well, we'll see where it takes us while we're in the in-between time, I guess.
0: Totally. And I wonder whether we can actually locate it within the, um, I guess, the art historical approach to appropriation, say, within postmodernism, right? Right. Is that overthinking, do you think? Or is that something that
1: does relate? Because, I mean, postmodern art right i mean we're sort of in banksy land yeah. right if we can appropriate it and if it's art who's to say uh that we can't use it yeah i i totally agree we're in this you know it's not real but if you've created something that belongs to the culture mm-hmm. does that mean that you control every aspect of your creation or does it cross over into the public domain because you've put it out there and it, be, it becomes it's part of the culture so it you know you shared it with us, so can't we play with it? And it does raise that question you know i i I think you're right. I like that uh, appropriation has always been sort of the dark. he's like, no, pure artists don't do that. and I'm like, really? why not? you know collages and yeah it, it, you're right I, I, it, it could be uh it could be an inflection point sort of artistry and ownership and copyright, who knows?
0: For sure, I mean almost, could we almost say, right, as we last have nearing the end of this conversation that Firefly or Midjourney is the digital equivalent of Marcel Duchamp. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, let's put a urinal in there and let's see what happens, right?
1: Right. You know, what is art? What is content? What is creative? Who owns it? Uh, the whole dada of like, you know, it's not about the application of the brush to the canvas. It's about your interpretation of art and what you call it. Yeah, I I agree. Only thing I can agree, you know, only thing I can say is that we're in the middle of it and it's hard to know where it's going to go. Last time I came close to this, and I'm referencing a creative director, was right before the dot-com bust. And everybody had money for those wacky TV spots and everything. And my creative director, he looked at me and he says, this reminds me of the 60s when LSD was legal. There was a brief little moment. And he said, you just had to get in and play because something's going to catch up and do something with this. So, yeah, it's it's a wild time, but I'm loving it, man. I, I play with it every day. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I'm using it myself and I'm, I'm loving seeing how students creativity and um, it's kind of like so it's being explored at different levels now and we're all in it together and that's kind of awesome but you're right I mean in terms of production I don't think we're there quite yet but moving forward I mean do we still see an application for it is this something where it will become so sophisticated that that ad agencies for example will be able to to use Firefly to come up with their their final printouts and even personalize them to a point. I know that some agencies are starting to do work similar to this, you know?
1: Right. Uh, good question. It's it's hard to know. I would hope that's not the case, because that means a lot of us creative types won't have a role. Part of me thinks that the uncanny valley phenomenon is like the closer we get to reality, the more we notice the minute differences, is that I don't think it'll ever not be synthetic and that we won't see it. but like I teach a, a video design class and you talk about an exponential leap in the quality of storyboards. I want a I want a car on an empty highway in Monument Valley. Well, we could maybe Photoshop that in, maybe not have you put that into uh into an AI prompt and you get an old car on a lone desert highway in Monument Valley, photo reel. And you can even, you can I even put in the prompt. I said, you know what, make it golden hour. And all of a sudden the lighting changed and it's at golden hour. And some of these you can actually start to change the cam- I, I don't like, put this on a 50 millimeter piece of glass. Now let's change it to a 70 with the long. Uh, it can take those photo prompts. So it, it's very good at responding to it. But if, there isn't someone with a brain and someone thinking behind the scenes that said, you know, that might be a, a, something quaint for 2023, 2025. You could actually be right. No need for us in there. Cause you know, the scary thing is, uh, have you heard about these guys who are taking, Entering prompts into chat GPT and then taking the chat GPT prompts and putting them into mid-journey and taking, you know, where they're actually starting to get the AIs to bang against each other. That's when it starts to get, for me, a little too, um, that gets really sort of inception and into the, all right, do we need to let these things talk to each other or should we at least try to be in the middle of it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) couldn't tell you.
0: Yeah, and I think that, you know, I always plan to, to finish our conversation off with a vision for the future. And I think it's kind of it feels almost dystopian when you when you're talking about robots of um on this continuous creative cycle, inventing, reinventing. And um right. I had a similar experience with uh with Google Translate, where if you translate from English into another language and then you translate back, back right the results are different.
1: Right. You're going into this kind of wormhole almost, you know? And we're starting to see a little bit of that is that how polluted will generative AI start to get by generated AI images? Right now, it's pretty pure because they're just scraping this content that's been created by us. But, you know, you can do the math and there could be an exponential leap where suddenly the majority is AI generated, which is derivative of all this other stuff. And, who knows where that's going to lead? Yeah, yeah, it could be dystopian, right? We could be looking back on this conversation and say, "You remember when we were back there cheerleading AI?" And now, uh, hey, you need me to finish waxing your car, John? Uh, any anything you could spare, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> I hope it doesn't get to that,
0: Dan. At the moment, though, it's a bag of fun, and it's just pushing the envelope in different directions that. We weren't able to do even a year ago. So let's enjoy it while we can and see what it
1: takes. It. Yeah, it's a new tool for creativity. It's opening up imaginations and it's opening up creative. I liked what you said earlier. It's creating these discontinuous leaps in thinking and these jumps that we wouldn't just make if we were just sketching on the page or we were just looking at our thumbnails. It's, uh, every time there's an aha, there's a surprise, there's a, it's like, wow, never occurred to me, but we can build off this. Absolutely. And
0: thank you, Dan, for taking the time to, to chat about these, um, these new bits of tech that are coming into our world and kind of keeping us nimble and agile in our educational practice. So
1: we'll love it. I appreciate again. you having me. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you, John. Talk to you soon.